Well, my name is Will Savelle, and I'm greatly, greatly honored to be in front of you guys tonight um, in big church, from what I always call it. I grew up calling this big church, so this is big church to me, and I I appreciate this. This is going to be a great first-time experience for me. For those who do not know me, my wife, Elaine, and I... um, we both have the job of ministry here uh, that requires the most afflicted mindset, I believe, at the church. And that's the, that's the junior high ministry. Uh, but I, I love the junior high. We, we love them. And we greatly appreciate you guys letting us uh, have your kids for a couple of years and being able to teach them and hang out with them. And uh, they teach us. They teach us a lot of stuff. Um, we learn a lot about the junior high and about their culture we learn about what movies they like. We learn about uh, what music they like, the CDs, the kind of clothes they wear. And what I've really learned is their sayings. They have a lot of little sayings. And one of the sayings that they have for me a lot of times when I try to tell a joke and it totally bombs. You've all been there. I know that you tell a joke and it crashes and burns. They look up at me and they go, Will, you have no friends. <laughs> You absolutely have no friends. Um, I try to assure them that I do have friends. They just don't know them. But I always do tell them of stories about a friend of mine here in junior high and high school age um, named Wade. His name is Wade. Um, There are many stories about Wade and me. Too many to even tell, but he's a great illustration in our our escapades together. And I thought I would share one with you guys tonight. Wade and I, like I said, we were best friends in junior high and high school, and we wouldn't separate. That's the kind of friends we were. We were always together. We played basketball together. We played football together, but our favorite things to do were to take our two pickup trucks and drive around town. We loved pickup trucks, and and we thought we were the coolest cats on the Ross Barnett Reservoir in Jackson, Mississippi, driving around in our pickup trucks. We thought we were the stuff, so that's what we like to do. And it's funny because we were so close that even times like when I had a girlfriend, Wade would just bust up in on my dates. Like, I'd be on a date, and Wade would know where we were going. He would just show up. And um, I, I learned to just kind of expect that sort of behavior from Wade. But um, speaking of girls, I'll never forget the time that Wade and I went to the fast food place, Wendy's. And um, we were going to get, go get a hamburger. And when we walked in the, the building, there was this group of really cute girls back in the corner. They were all giggly and cute and everything, and they were eating. And if you're a guy in here, whether young or old or middle-aged, whatever, you're going to be able to relate to the thought process that went through my mind during this time. Uh, let's check this out. All right. You see a bunch of good-looking girls, and you're not going to say a word to them. All right? You're not going to say anything. You're going to play Joe Cool. You're just going to play it cool, but you're going to find some other way for them to notice you. Um, it might be the way that you walk. It might be the way that you sit. It might be the way that you talk or how loud you talk. But whatever it is, you're going to find a way for those girls to notice you and notice that you're there. So check out what Joe Cool right here did. Check out, check out what Slick did. I was at Wendy's and I sat down right behind the counter where the ketchup and the napkins and the straws are. So my back was to that area. And Wade was sitting across from me. And I opted for those girls to notice me by the way I sat. Oh, this is stupid, I know. But I was going to lean my chair up against the counter and sort of give that attitude of, I don't even care that you're even over there. So that, that's the attitude I was going to play. You know, real, real cool, real cool cat here. 
Okay. So as I leaned back on this counter, I started to roll. I mean, the, the, the counter started to roll, and I started to fall backwards. I had no idea that that counter was on wheels, and it was not bolted to the floor. Okay, so, so <laughs> needless to say, I fell flat on my back. My feet went straight up in the air. The counter started rolling. The napkins went everywhere, and that counter went all the way up to the register. I did not look near as cool as I had originally planned. But that's okay, right? I had my best friend, Wade, right there beside me. He was going to pick me up and say, hey, man, that's, that's okay. No, no. Wade was sitting there pointing his finger, laughing his head off. Just, I mean, he couldn't even control himself. He was laughing so hard. We were that type of buddies. He was there for my embarrassing moments, and I was there for his. And that's just the type of friends we were. But things change uh, as everything, as everybody in here knows, things change. Um, when I got married, I asked Wade to be in my wedding. I asked him to be a groomsman for my wedding and uh, come up to Memphis. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. Well, like two weeks before the big day, uh, Wade called and he gave some really lame excuse on how he couldn't come up to the wedding. And he totally backed out on me. And I won't get into the excuse, but it was one of those kind of things that would just really make you mad. And ever since then, we just sort of kind of fell apart. Well, guys, I told you this long story with sort of the down ending, the sad ending for this reason. As all of you guys know in here, at some point, friends will disappoint you, and they're going to let you down in some way. We've all lived long enough in here to understand that truth. But the good news is that Jesus Christ is a friend that is with you no matter what you're going through, no matter what the situation that you're in, you can carry anything to Christ, and He will be there for you. Everyone, please take your Bible tonight, if you have it, and uh, turn to our text. It's in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And right now, as you're turning, I'm going to promise you something. I'm going to promise you that this isn't a cutesy little lesson about friendship. I'm not going to flip on the Michael W. Smith CD and sing Friends are Friends Forever, and we're not going to hold hands and do that kind of stuff. So uh, this is not a cutesy little friend lesson. Yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I want a friend lesson. Uh, James 5. Verses 13 through 16. Please listen to the word of the Lord. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Let us pray. Dear gracious and merciful God, we come before you on this Wednesday night, Lord, uh, thanking you for your grace that you've given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for everything you've done for us. Uh, Lord, right now, I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Lord, I think that I have the opportunity tonight to to speak uh, for the first time uh, to a group of adults. I pray that you calm my nerves and you speak through me. Please do not let them hear me. Uh, I pray that they hear you, Lord. And if anything that I might say um, might be wrong uh, or might be incorrect, I pray that you erase that from their mind. But if what I'm saying is true, Lord, please chisel that in their mind where they will remember it forever and it will, it will uh, help them grow spiritually. We love you, and thank you again for sending your son Christ to die for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I realize that the introduction story of my friend Wade uh, has nothing to, on surface level to do with the verses that we just read, but please stay with me tonight, and you'll see where it goes. The text that we're studying tonight 
as you can see in the book of James, is the last part. It's the last part of James. James is bringing this letter to the 12 tribes to a close. He's wrapping it up, so to speak. And you know, all throughout the book of James, he is writing for his fellow believers to endure well when dealing with trials and tests. I know a lot of people in here study the book of James. He's he's writing to believers to endure well when dealing with trials and tests. He writes for them to be obedient to the Word, to follow the instructions of God. He also encourages them to try to tame their tongue and to be careful not to show favoritism to people that might have great wealth or or something uh, that they can give them. He exhorts those fellow believers to prove their salvation by good deeds and good works, but he also warns of the wrong motives. He instructs the wealthy who are hoarding, hoarding their money to be careful or they might be condemned. He also tells them to be patient and persevere during times of trials as Job did. And now at the end of the letter, he is wrapping it up. He's bringing all the points together. And if you remember, I know you guys don't want to remember school. None of you do. But if you remember school, if you remember writing term papers, you'll remember that the first paragraph is always the introduction paragraph. The next paragraphs are the body of the paragraph. Is what you want your stuff in right there. And then the last part of the letter is always the uh, last part of the paper is always the closing. Just like writing a letter to your friends or to your relatives. You have your introduction, you have what you want to say, and then you're bringing everything together and you're doing a closing. Well, this is the closing for James. And now he's bringing his letter together. And I tell you this short background about the book of James and what he's doing here because these verses that we're about to study tonight have been misused and taken out of the overall context of this book many times. You see, in the beginning of the book and throughout James... Is right, he writes a lot about enduring trials and keeping the faith throughout times of suffering. He's coming back to this point right now in the text that we're studying tonight. Um, and the first way he does it, and the first way he deals with that, is he writes about three occasions for prayer. He asks the question, is any one of you in trouble? Well, guys, that's an easy question. That's a real easy question. I could ask you guys the same thing, and I already know the answer. There's no doubt that there are probably half of you guys in here tonight that are in trouble in some way. It, you know, you, it might be financial problems. It might be something with your family. Your, your kid might have run away. Uh, or or your, your spouse, and you guys, and you might not be getting along too well. So if I ask you if you're in trouble, I already know the answer to the question. It's a rhetorical question. James knew the answer as well. He knew that there were those fellow believers that were in trouble. So he tells them, and the Holy Spirit is telling you tonight, he should pray. It's real, excuse me, it's real easy. Then he asks another rhetorical question. Is anyone happy? Well, that's another no-brainer. There are many in here who are happy, as well as there were those people that James were writing to. He knew they were happy. And so he tells them, and the Holy Spirit is telling you tonight, let them sing songs of praise. The words pray and praise are very similar, aren't they? That's because a praise is a type of prayer. You are communicating with God when you are praising. So when you are in trouble and when you are happy, you should pray. It's very simple. But James does not stop there. He goes on to the third situation and asks, is any one of you sick? Now, this is the verse that gets taken out of context so many times. Is any one of you sick? 
Many people want to use this verse and this word sick and apply it to physical illness. I used to be one of those uh, people that wanted to do this until we studied the book of James back in junior high and we learned the overall context of this book. And looking at original wording in context, the word sick here does not mean physical illness at all. Now, please, please, please do not get me wrong tonight. I want to be very clear with you guys. I'm a firm believer that God, with His immense power and His healing abilities, can and does heal physical sickness today. Um, I'm a product of it. Uh, I used to have asthma severely, and I used to have my hands would used to peel so bad that they would bleed by touch. And doctors couldn't explain it. Doctors didn't know what was going on. And the Lord healed me. I'm not saying that He doesn't physically uh, heal sickness. Um, I'm just saying that we can't use that for those verses that we're studying tonight. It just wouldn't make sense. And here's why. The original wording refers to spiritual and emotional weakness. And above that, context throughout the entire book of James deals with trouble and temptation and the such. Context throughout the whole book, that what we just learned a few minutes ago, deals with trouble and temptation and the such. And James is finishing up the book, and he is closing and bringing his points together. It would not make sense for him to throw in some random subject of physical illness when it had never even been referred to before. So when we see the word sick tonight, when we see it in our text, we need to think about us or possibly even someone else being spiritually or emotionally torn down or weak due to the temptations and the troubles that they are going through in their life. That's what we need to think of when we hear the word sick. So now I'm going to ask you guys the rhetorical question. Are you sick? Have you been beat up spiritually or emotionally? Do you feel as though you can't even go before the Lord anymore due to your guilt? You can't even pray and open the Word of God anymore because of that. And you're just trying so desperately to somehow find comfort. And if you want to find comfort, James gives you the answer in the text. He says that you should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Thank God we have elders here at the church. But if you are spiritually weak, then you should call the elders of the church. You should call those who are spiritually and emotionally stronger than you to pray for you. That's what elders are. If you are meaning business, if you're truly meaning business and you want to be comforted and restored, don't call, please don't call that friend or or that person who is emotionally and spiritually weaker than you are. That wouldn't make sense. Call on those who are stronger so that you may be comforted. Well, that's all well and good, I know. But I know y'all are getting ready for the anointing with oil stuff. Uh, what's all that anointing with oil business that you're talking about? That just makes me uncomfortable. And all I can think about is the pink haired lady on TBN. And I saw her other night doing it. And it wigs me out. I don't understand it. What's that anointing with oil stuff? Well, if we look at the original wording, you know, it's in the Bible. You look at the original wording and it, it speaks about rubbing with oil. Do you guys know that Dr. Young, he has a little bottle of oil in his office um, for when someone comes in his office and needs prayer. And he anoints him with oil. Rubbing with oil might sound weird, but it's a symbolic act. Oil in itself means nothing. Go cook with it. I mean, oil does not mean anything. Christ is the only one who can comfort and restore. We all know that. 
But think about what wool symbolizes. A lot of you men out there, I'm looking around and I can tell a lot of you men out there have played football or some sort of sports. And a lot of you women, you go and exercise or run or you go do Tybo or something uh, throughout, throughout the day. Think back, guys, to the first day of football practice, those two days, and think about your sore. Think about, think about it, ladies, the first time that Billy Blanks ever got a hold of you. Uh, <laughs> think about how you felt. Were you not sore? Absolutely you were. Oil was and still used, is still used to rub on people who are sore. It is a sort of a healing element that soothes the pain. And that's why it said for the spiritually strong to rub oil on the spiritually weak. Well, we know that we need to pray in all occasions. Uh, whether you're in trouble, whether you're happy, or whether you're sick, you need to pray. And we need to go before, uh, if, and for those who are spiritually weak, you need to uh, go before the spiritually stronger for comfort. But how can the spiritually or emotionally sick believer become restored? Because there's a difference between being comforted and being restored. Being comforted soothes the pain, and that's all well and good. That's, that's, that's fine. But being restored is healing, and that's what we want. Spiritually, we need healing. James immediately jumps down to sins and the confessions of sin. Why does he do that? Why in the world does he do that? This right here is another indication of why he is speaking about the sick person being spiritually or emotionally sick and not physically. There's another indication of that. A physically sick person isn't always sick because of the sin in their life. I hope that my being sick last week because of the allergies I was feeling, all the allergies floating around, wasn't due to my unconfessed sin. I think if that was the case, everybody around here who have unconfessed sin in their life would be physically sick all the time. You'd have a cold or, or cancer or you would have something bad wrong with you all the time. However, in most cases, a spiritually sick person is usually in that state because of sin in their life. Someone who is spiritually sick. And you might be one of those people who are sick because of the sin that you've committed and you're holding on to so tightly. I don't know why you're holding on to it so tightly, but you are. Maybe you feel like it's unforgivable, or maybe you don't think the church will bestow grace, or the Lord will bestow grace. But you're holding on to that sin so, so tightly. Think about your spiritual walk right now. Is it sick? Is it struggling? James, give you, uh, James gives you another answer if this is you that I'm talking about. Verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I truly believe, I truly, truly, truly believe that if there were more recognition of sin and more confession of sin, like it is saying right here, then there would be a revival in this church that no man could put down. I believe there would be a revival in this Christian church as a whole that no man could put down. If there were more confession of sin, realization of sin, and asking of forgiveness. But when you confess your sins, guys, and you and the people around you pray, the Bible says that the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. It also says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When there is confession of sin and forgiveness, and forgiveness is being prayed for, then there will be spiritual restoration from the destitute state that you're in right now. You will be forgiven. 
And that sense of loss that you have right now will be filled. There's not a problem that you face that is too big for Jesus Christ. Is that cliche enough for you guys tonight? Very cliche. But it's the truth. There's not a problem that you're facing right now that is too big for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because a lot of you guys have problems right now. Tons of spiritual and emotional problems. They're not too big. You can't think of a situation that you're going through right now. You cannot even think or fathom a situation so out of control that He cannot handle it. I don't care what you're going through in life. Christ can and will forgive you and spiritually restore you. He will heal you. But it all begins with one thing. It all begins with taking it to the Lord in prayer. In closing tonight, I want to read you a song that we just sang tonight. Probably didn't think twice about it. We all grew up in our little country churches uh, singing it, maybe even kind of making fun, even here and there, the twangy sound it, it gives off. But hopefully, after the concentration of these words, after we really focus in on the words I'm about to read tonight, I hope it will mean a little more to you guys the next time you sing it. It's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Please listen to these words and see if this doesn't apply to what we're studying tonight. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything, not just something, everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Of course you do. Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden? Are you weak and heavily afflicted? Cumbered, burdened, hindered with a load of care. Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. You will find an easing of grief and loneliness and discomfort there. I began the lesson tonight with a story about a friend of mine who let me down. We just heard the words of a song that told us about a friend that never will. And a friend that wants you to bring everything that you're, that you're facing, everything that you're dealing with right now in life, He wants you to bring it to Him. The question is tonight, is He your friend? Is He your friend? Have you found comfort and restoration in the arms of Jesus Christ? Because that's the only place that you will ever find it. It won't be found in your family It won't be found in your wife. It won't be found in your husband. It won't be found in your children. Those are all good things. But it won't be found there. So many of us look for it there. It's not where it's going to be found. It's not going to be found in your job. I don't care how much you like it. It won't be found there. Money? It won't be found there either. Uh, Coming from Jackson and coming up to Memphis where a lot of money circulates. I've never been... um, I've never seen so much hurt and pain from people who have a lot of it. You won't find it there. I promise you. Only in the restoration power of Jesus Christ. That's where you're going to find it. That's it. I pray tonight that you've all understood your sin. You've all realized your sin. And I pray that you've asked God to forgive you. 
and ask Jesus in your heart. I truly do. But I can't take this moment for granted. I can't. If for the first time you realize that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior, maybe the Holy Spirit is touching your heart tonight. For the first time, maybe you've gone to church all your life. You guys are Wednesday night attenders. You're the faithful few that come on Wednesday night. I see that. A lot of people play church. And possibly for the first time, the Holy Spirit's touched your heart and made you realize that you are a sinner and you do need a Savior. If this is you, we would love to talk to you as everyone's leaving about the great news of Jesus Christ and how He died on the cross for your sins. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You so much for Your Son. I thank You so much for Your grace and the grace that You showed me when I was about eight years old, Lord. Thank You for saving me from eternal uh, eternal damnation, Lord. I can't thank You enough. Lord, help us realize tonight that um, You are there for us. You are a friend that won't leave or forsake us and that You want us to bring everything to You in prayer, Lord. And You will heal us. You will restore us. Lord, we love You and thank You for always being there for us. I pray for everyone in this room tonight. I pray that they will leave and have a safe ride home. I pray that You will spiritually grow them and sanctify them throughout the upcoming weeks and months and years, Lord. Let them know that You're always there with Your arms around them. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.